past um, uh, two years, we've had several uh, or various uh, preaching plans from Nehemiah in the Old Testament to Revelation, the letters to the seven churches in the New Testament, and much in between. I don't know how much of that you uh, recall, how much of it has struck a chord with you, how much of it that we've received from many and various uh, preachers has had an effect or changed your life even. I don't know. I can, I suppose, only answer for myself. But it is a challenge, isn't it? And uh, I was challenged this morning because there is no set subject. This is a a sort of a free one. You can do what you like sort of thing. Um, And that can be helpful, but it can also be a challenge. I had to think very prayerfully about the subject for today, because you all, or those of you that know me, know how fond I am of the Old Testament. But preaching should never be about the preacher's preferences, or his particular hobby horse. So it isn't that. Um, And I've decided to title today's message, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. Hence our opening song. And in fact, I hope as we talk this morning, you will see the connection between the things we have sung and uh, what the Lord has to say to us from his word. Before I explain how I arrived at that subject, Here's a very short video. And before Keith plays this, thank you, Keith, because I've given him a few challenges this morning. Uh, and this is not the least amongst them. Oh, so, a short video. seems more fractured each day. Never have the headlines been this jarring, the cultural changes this rapid, or the moral decay this pronounced. Terrorism that bleeds across borders, deepening persecution and intolerance. A growing culture of apathy, self-centeredness, and greed. Escalating international tensions simmering just below the surface. And a future that seems all but certain. After each new occurrence, questions arise. Will the world ever be the same again? And where is God in all of this? People are asking, is this the end? Breaking news out of North Korea once again, where Pyongyang is now threatening a nuclear strike. Earlier, we reported that ISIS leaders called for more attacks during the holy month of Ramadan. The renewed focus on Russia's military started with its annexation of Crimea in southern... This will have broad political ramifications and ramifications for national security. The largest nuclear arsenal in the world, larger even than the U.S. Now, But Israel lives. The people of Israel live. But could we be on the cusp of a spiritual revival? A resurgence of faith, world evangelism, and spiritual awakening? Thanks, Keith. 
the, the purpose of that video is just to sort of highlight the day and age in which we live and the things that make many of us uh, anxious and concerned and hopefully brings us to our knees in prayer. I um, was uh, having a conversation with uh, Jill at one time because you know that the ladies of WOW who are much better than the men of MOT who um, they study the Bible every Wednesday morning and they've been looking at uh, at angels and we were having a conversation about some of the uh, things that had been said and uh, how they had been talking about uh, world events and Brexit and all those kind of things and about people's anxieties and this story that we read together this morning came to my mind. This um, particular incident in the life of Elisha. The book of two kings records Elisha's life from chapter 2 to chapter 13. In the previous book, One Kings, we read how he became Elijah's servant. And then in chapter 2 we see how he became Elijah's successor. The interesting thing is that um, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, of his power, and he inherited his cloak. And in the Bible, and this is why the Bible is such a wonderful book, twice as many miracles of Elisha are recorded as those of Elijah. That's why the Bible's a wonderful book. It doesn't contradict itself. Elisha's final miracle is rather wonderful because it happens when he's dead. <clears throat> After a, a battle, a man's body is thrown into Elisha's tomb. And when he touches Elisha's bones, he comes back to life. Chapter 13. Read it for yourself. So what's all this got to do with our day and age? What has it to do with us? What's its relevance? That's a big question, isn't it? Is the Bible relevant? Does it mean anything today? Or is it just a really interesting history book? Because it certainly is that. Well, Elisha, like us, lived in turbulent times. Times of war. Times when people turned away from God. The land was divided. There was Israel and Judah. And the kings often, as the Bible describes it, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In um, chapters 11 to 12, we encounter King Joash, a king of Judah. He was a rare king because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And if you uh, look it up, or maybe you've got in your Bible encyclopedia or in the helps in your study Bible, where they show a list of the good kings and the bad kings, all the Israelite kings, all the kings of Israel were bad they all got it wrong. They all forgot God. They all forgot their history. And uh, disaster resulted. So Elisha lived in turbulent, difficult, violent times. So what then is this incident in Elisha's eventful life to teach us? When I was young, I've told you quite a bit about when I was young this morning, haven't I? Well, when I was a young person... Um, 
every Sunday morning we had Bible class. Don't do that these days, do we? We used to go to Bible class at 9.30, a morning breaking of bread at 11.30 or something like that. Take a Sunday school class in the afternoon, go to the gospel service in the evening, and then have the youth meeting after that. What a day! There was no about problems about what to do with your Sunday. Gosh, it was great. It really was. And we lost some of that, I think. But there we are. Anyway, when I was young, we had a Bible class teacher. He'd been a missionary to um, Brazil, somewhere like that. And um, he once said to us, be careful you don't spiritualize Abraham's big toe. What did he mean? Well, we mustn't read into the scriptures more than is there. But there's so much there that we don't need to do that, don't, do we? And we can draw parallels between Elisha's world and our world. There's no doubt that we live in a broken world, as uh, we illustrated uh, just now. The purpose of that video, by the way, was to advertise a book called this is, the, is This the End, written by an American uh, preacher called uh, David Jeremiah. It's very American-orientated, but it just fitted what we're kind of trying uh, to say. Although Jill has got the book at home, and she's trying to get through it, and then I'll try afterwards. But, um, but in comfortable, sunny Somerset, we might feel that we're remote from those events, that they take place around us, but we are untouched uh, by them. But I, I hope that's not the case, that we don't ignore the plight of the victims of famine and war, that we're not um, immune to the difficulties of those in poverty and distress, even those nearer to home. And also, of course, it may be that when we look at these situations and circumstances, we become anxious. Do you worry about your own future? Do you worry about the future of your children and your grandchildren? Of course you do. Of course you do. Do you have personal trials and struggles which seem as if, as if it were to have no real solution? Do you can be, feel confused by it all and wonder what God is doing? Of course we do. From time to time we do. Things overwhelm us. We're not superhuman, are we? But I want to show you this morning that the battle belongs to the Lord. And uh, so, what, what have I picked? Debbie, Debs, I asked you to read 23 verses. And I'm really only interested in one of them. <laughs> I'm sorry. But look, when Elisha was surrounded by his enemies, when all seemed lost, this was it, this was the end. When his servant woke up that morning and lo looked out and saw the horsemen and the chariots and the spears and the swords and the shields, what did he think? This is the end. We are sunk. We are done for. Oh no, my Lord. What shall we do? And perhaps that's how we feel. Perhaps that's how 
we feel surrounded by those who have no interest in the things of God. Those who have no care for Christian things. Those who seek to entrap us using laws that have been passed successively by our parliament that are contrary to God's laws. Do you feel surrounded? Do you feel isolated? It's right to be concerned about these things. But what did the prophet say? Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Picture this for a moment. They're surrounded by this army. And Elisha turns round to you and says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Really? Where are they? Where are they? And so Elisha prays, open his eyes so that he may see. And when the Lord opened the servant's eyes, he looked, and what did he see? The hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. That's, why, that's what came to my mind when Jill and I were talking. We need our eyes opened to see, to grasp that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle's been won. I believe in that same way that God surrounded Elisha and the servant. He surrounds us with his love and care and protection. We're not granted immunity from trials and difficulties of life. And saying that, I must be careful in my enthusiasm not to appear to dismiss those of us who are struggling with infirmities and uh, trials and anxieties. I know many grapple day by day with such. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Nor must I give you the idea that I do not have doubts and struggles of my own. Because I do. But the point of all this is that if we allow him, the Lord is with us in our trials, in our battles, and he equips us to deal with them. Remember David? We did that. The life of David. We had a series on that, remember? Last year sometime. Remember David when he faced Goliath? What did he say? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. If you know the Lord as your Lord and Saviour, if Jesus is your Saviour, dwelling within you is God's Holy Spirit. You're like David. It doesn't matter how big the giant is. 
the battle belongs to the Lord. He's equipped you to win, to have a victory in your life. In our story, the army of the Anameans do not disappear, nor is it defeated by the heavenly army. But Elisha is given wisdom. He's given power to defeat them without spilling a drop of blood. Now, perhaps that's a bit disappointing, because those of you who know me know I love history, and I love battles. So it's a, perhaps it's a bit disappointing, you know. But it's rather marvellous to read, isn't it, how that there is more than one way of God achieving his aims. When it was appropriate, the armies of Israel defeated their enemies. And when it was appropriate, there was another way. There's a lesson to be learned there. The Lord was in control of events, and Elisha's servant was reassured when his eyes were opened. I'm reminded of the children of Israel who, when they entered, uh, when, uh, when the exodus took place, they were immediately in trouble. It looked as if the venture was doomed from the very uh, beginning. Do you remember how, how they found themselves? The Red Sea in front of them, the armies of the Pharaoh, his horsemen and his chariots behind them. And what does Moses say? Exodus 14, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again, forever. And we read of uh, their complete uh, destruction uh, in the Red Sea as the children of Israel pass through. And that theme is carried on. And when you get into Deuteronomy, where Moses is giving them all their instructions for their life, he gives them instructions for war. He gives them instructions for battle. And he says, when you go to war against your enemies and see the horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. Isn't that great? And we could... Uh, go on. You'd be pleased to know the clock has been restored. Uh, well, we could we could go on. There are lots of other um, uh, examples. One I really like, and I, I can't pass it by. Really, is uh, do you remember King Hezekiah? He was another one. He was one of the, another good king. And uh, a time when the uh, king of Assyria. Uh, came to attack. And so Hezekiah and uh, Isaiah pray and the Lord sends an angel. Do you remember that? Who did that poem when you, went, when you were in school? Remember that Byron's poem, The Destruction of Sennacherib? No? Well, your education has been neglected. 
The great thing about that poem is this. I hope the teachers amongst you remember it. The great thing about that poem is this. In the, in the, in the Bible, it says, The Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. Byron, if I can find it, I won't read it to you because uh, time makes a great poem of it. And it's great. It really is. It's good. The only bit I remembered, I thought of it, thanks to Google, you see, I remembered the first line. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold. And his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. And the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea when the blue wave rolls nightly on deep Galilee. And it goes on to speak of the angel of death and the destruction of the army and the horses. And it's just, it's, it, I'm, I'm not a great one for poetry, but it really paints a picture. You can have a look afterwards if you like. Or if you're really keen, I'll give a private reading somewhere. But yet another example of how the Lord was on their side. I just want to sum this up with some words from Proverbs which tells us there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory rests with the Lord. Whatever fight you're in, so whatever fight you're in, remember it's the Lord's fight. Yes, you fight for him, but more importantly, he fights for you. What did Paul say to the Romans? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We've recently celebrated the events of Easter, our Saviour's death and resurrection. But before his arrest, we recall that the Lord took time to prepare his disciples for what was going to happen. He says to them in John 16, verse 33, I have told you things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The battle is already won. Remember Good Friday. Those words from the cross. It is finished. Not words of despair, but words of triumph. Words of victory. Like Elisha's servant, we see God's power and, vi- in, and victory even in a cross. You see, for us, there is something of a difference, isn't there? All the New Testament. For us, we see these wonderful things through the eye of faith. Remember our studies in Luke. Jairus' daughter and they told him that his daughter was already dead. What did the Lord do? Turn to him. Do not be only 
There's a mantra, isn't it? There's a way to begin the day. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And she will be healed. That was the promise and that was what was took that's what took place. This world of ours has been spoiled by sin, and the times we live in show that very, very clearly. God's remedy is to give us a saviour, his son Jesus, who paid the penalty for our sin, dying on the cross, and who rose again as a victim over sin, death and hell. What then is required but for us to trust in the Lord, to acknowledge that the battle belongs to him, through faith accept his sacrifice and live in the good of him. Remember this, that we have to view events and our own lives in the light of eternity. Truthfully, how often do we in the morning and go about our day and do what we do and express our hopes and organize ourselves just for the here and now. But God is an eternal God and there is an eternity. Were you thrilled by last week's message? I was. Jesus, light of the world. And what did Simon make very clear to us? There was an eternity to be shared with God, belonging to Him. And there was an eternity to be spent without Him. It's refreshing to hear that because it's often left out of the message, isn't it? I'm reminded of Abraham. In uh, Hebrews 11, remember Abraham, the man of faith? We're told he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That means he was looking forward to heaven. He was looking forward beyond this earth to eternity and so the question for us is in whom or what are we trusting if you belong to the Lord if you acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour if you accept the sacrifice he made for you well rejoice because the battle belongs to the Lord doesn't mean you won't have trials problems and difficulties but you have a Saviour who lives for you and with you. You have an eternity, an eternal hope to look forward to and to live in the light of in this day and age. My aim this morning was to encourage you not to lose heart. And I'm going to close with another verse. I make no apologies for all the scripture references this morning. God's word speaks for itself. Um, I know I've said it before. I think sometimes it, it wouldn't hurt if we simply opened the Bible and just read and quietly meditated upon it. But look, if um, the day ever comes and some of you are here remembering me because the Lord has taken me home, I want
want you to remember these verses. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know those verses, don't you, Isaiah? Chapter 40. It's tremendous, isn't it? Are you thrilled this morning? If you know the Lord to be yours, whatever life throws at you, and I've got to be careful. This is what the Lord is saying to you. It's not what I'm saying, because I have no right to say to anybody who's struggling and, and, and grappling at all. But the Lord says to you, through his word, he speaks to you this morning and encourages you because the battle belongs to the Lord. Rest in him.